Howdy, folks. Before we start this session of Bebop Tabletop, we just want to say thanks to all our listeners, Twitter followers, and everyone who supported us along the journey. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on your listening app of choice. It would help us out more than a sack full of oolongs. Now, hit it. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Lee Joe John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game we can play. Let's jam. Hello, visitors. Thank you for your attendance. This is Bebop Tabletop Session 15, where we'll be covering My Funny Valentine. As always, my funny Valentine's right here, Lee Joe John. How you doing, Lee Joe? Hello. I'm doing great. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Why, thank you. Now I just need to get a Valentine. Well, this is not going to help with that. Anyways, we have with us a special <laughs> guest, Patty. Hello, Patty. How's it going? It's doing well. I'm feeling a little, a little uh, one-sidedness in the bromance, I'm sorry to say. But uh, I'm excited, and I, I think you two are going to make it. I, I just can't wait. Like, once Lijo realizes how good he's got it, you know, it's just it's just meant to be. Absolutely. I'm rooting for you guys. Anyway. I can tell Lijo's very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great nah. opening. We're doing, we're doing great. This is, uh, <laughs> this is prime podcast material. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly what we do on a regular basis. So I'm not... Overly upset, <laughs> but but I'm glad that this this weird energy can be turned into something productive. Uh, Patty here is a old friend of the show. Uh, I've known her for what did we say like 20 years at this point. Something gross and like that, yeah. Something gross like that, right? Like it's that's like six presidents now. We uh we're we're old friends that recently have been playing a bunch of games on Wednesday night. So most notably, Patty, uh, how many times do you think you've murdered me so far? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I have a goal of a thousand times, and I haven't hit that yet, but I feel like we're about halfway there. I, that feels about right. Yeah. Uh, I hope the listeners right now realize it's not a real murder because I can't live that many times. But uh, we play a game on Wednesday nights called uh, Goose Goose Duck, which is kind of a, what was it, like a hidden roll? It's a lot of murdery games. If we're, you've we're ever played Town of Salem or, you know, Among Us or any sort of, you know, or One Night Ultimate Werewolf, it's it's a fun little, you know, murder game. And no, Wu, you know, Wu is not some sort of eldritch horror that refuses to die. So, And I don't have not? the kind of resources to be able to constantly revive him. Unfortunately, <laughs> you keep, you know, keep dreaming, though, like it is. We all need goals. We all have a future we got to look out for. Although, to be fair, if I did have the billions of dollars uh, and medical expertise to resuscitate you over and over again, I, I wouldn't do it. Just I want to <laughs> stay dead. It's important to know where we stand. Yeah. Yeah. So, tying it back to today's episode, you would not bring me back out from the deep freeze, would you? <laughs> No, I think I would just let you uh, sit in there uh, between the um, mochi ice cream and some uh, like good quality steaks. Well, okay, as long as they're good quality. Yeah. Patty uh, <laughs> is also a. I, I so I don't know what the best way to phrase it, right? But I know you're also a huge nerd. Like that is one of the things that uh, makes us friends. Friends? Enemies? What are those? That is the best way to phrase it, though. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> How about you describe a little bit about your connection to Cowboy Bebop or, yeah, let, let, let's just talk about your connection to Cowboy Bebop. So I was way more into anime uh, in my teens and early 20s. And of course, Cowboy Bebop is one of those really popular shows that I feel like everybody kind of runs through. It was uh, only one season. Really, really cool. Really stylistically interesting. And uh, then I kind of just completely stop caring about all things anime and uh it's been like 15 years and i rewatched uh the my funny valentine episode for this recording to you know it's a prep to be a, a good uh, guest and i had forgotten how fucking weird that show is but it, it's it's a good weird it's a good weird it's an entertaining weird well what are you, um i guess so because i was i was kind of in the same position too around 
the first time I was watching this show, I was big into anime. Or not big into anime, but like the Toonami block. The Adult Swim was just starting up, I think. Yeah. Uh, and all those shows I used to watch. I think I brought up like Gundam Wing and Outlaw Star, Trigon. And I loved them. But in the end, like I, I don't watch any anime these days. Not really. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm watching anything. Uh, Legio, I know, on the other hand, is all in that anime. I do wonder, like, what bounced you off of the anime? Because I, I, I don't actually know what that is in my mind either. I think my sort of tapering off of, like, interest in anime also coincides with, like, the rise of social media. And I think the fans <laughs> are what kind of turned me Ooh. off from pursuing other things. However, I will say there are certain things that do still live in my heart. And, like, you mentioned the... The, the like Cartoon Network Toonami Adult Swim thing and to this day if someone shouts Inuyasha I'm going to shout back Kagome and vice versa if I shout back if I shout out um, <laughs> Inuyasha at someone and they don't shout back Kagome or don't know what I'm talking about it hurts my heart <laughs> that's it boy yeah uh, the... such a good power oh, to God. have that'd be such a great oh, power it'd be so good <laughs> it would solve a lot of the world's problems yeah, unfortunately, it just, it, like, it got too much. People, you have to watch this. You have to. And I'm still, I'm thinking that we know about everything. People will be like, you have to watch this show. And I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. And as soon as I've, like, turned bodily away from whoever mentioned anything, I forget what they mentioned and probably who mentioned it to me. Like, it's just gone. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your uh, meme post with Corey, uh, what was that, yesterday, right? Yeah. With, with Grogu <laughs> and how... Uh, you just you forget any anything that he recommends is just out the window immediately. <laughs> I'll have watched stuff with him, and he'll reference it, and I'll be like, "Oh, did you see that too?" And he'll be like, "Well, we saw it together." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> just like, oh no! <laughs> I'm a bad friend. Yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> I I do absolutely agree with you. I think it is the fandom that was a problem. The I don't know. It, problem's not the word I, exactly, but that that idea that. You know, I, I'm saying this now as the host of a Cowboy Bebop uh, rewatch slash reinvention slash adaptation. So I, I I absolutely understand the hypocrisy of saying something like this. But, like, it's true. Like, obsessive fandom is very much a turnoff, <laughs> right? Like, it is, I, you know, I love this show. And there are many other fandoms that I love, right? Like, uh, I was into Firefly before anybody knew what that was. When I was growing up, I, I used to say that I knew more about the Star Wars extended universe than I did about the actual universe, because that's the kind of obsessive fan I tend to be. But at the same time, I don't think anybody else really wants to hear about that from me. So I also don't want to hear about it from other people, usually. What's that really old? It's not even a meme. It's a, it's just a little, like, you know, two-panel or three-panel cartoon. And it's just like a, a stick figure in front of a computer. And it says... Normal human being plus total anonymity equals total fuckwad. And I think, you know, you at least are giving your name in this. Like, you you, <laughs> you're, you, and Lijo are, like, accountable, I guess. So I <laughs> think you have to stay. Yeah. yeah. And don't worry. No one's looking. It's fine. No one wants to find you. Honestly, what it comes down to it is the fact that we don't have any sense of ownership of this world. We have an understanding of what the world is, and we we explain it through our lens and our point of views, our worldview. But I also don't demand that this happen or that happen. I, and I know the buzzword of the day is parasocial relationships, and I think that a lot of fandoms form this kind of sick symbiosis with the with their the product that they love. You know, the biggest problem inherently is that. They, you know, they think that they deserve this or that when the truth is, when it comes to art, you don't deserve anything. So some things you're going to love, some things you're going to not love, and you're going to have to take the good and the bad together, which is tough for some people. It's a really good observation and a really good way to um, to phrase it. Like, you don't have any kind of sense of ownership over it. You're just like, let's make a fun thing out of it. Not, and they should have done this. Like, you're, yeah. Yeah, I, to piggyback onto that point, too, is... I'm of the opinion that if you like a thing, or especially if you don't like a thing, you should make your own. Like, that, I think, is the highest possible form of fandom. Be inspired by something. Make something new. 
Anyways, let's talk about something old. You guys ready for a summary? Let's Let's do it. Looking for food, Jet thaws some toxic fish, but decides to go after a small fry bounty. Meanwhile, Faye tells Ayn about her past. Three years earlier, Faye is defrosted by a Dr. Bacchus, who ensures that she is recovering well and presents a bill for 300,028,000 wulongs. Faye, though, has almost total amnesia, remembering nothing about her past. A lawyer, Whitney Haggis Matsumoto, approaches her to help acclimate her to the future and charms Sleeping Beauty with food and dancing. One night, as they are pursued by a collection agency, Whitney dies in an explosion. At the hospital, Faye is named as Whitney's sole heir and accepts his assets, his fine collection of many debts. Jet returns with the bounty, who happens to be Whitney with some extra weight. Faye stuffs him into her ship to try to get more answers. Spike stops them from escaping, but instead of the police, Dr. Bacchus arrives. He claims to have given Faye her name and that no one knows her true past. The doctor flees and Whitney is thrown in jail. The crew collects the smallest of small bounties and remember... Having a future is what counts. We were talking a little bit about this episode before we started recording, and yeah, it's a weird one, right? Like, this is a uh, a weird show, and within the context of that weird show, this is kind of... I, I feel like we say this for about half the episodes at this point, that they are outliers, because they kind of are, but this episode does break the mold a bit. I think it's the first time we get a extended flashback. Uh, we we don't we've gotten glimpses of it here and there for everybody else's past, and this is the first time we see the truth of what happened to Faye, right? Or at least how she arrived into this world, right? What stands out to you guys about this episode? Um, I I'm just gonna start, and I, this is not the most important thing, but I just always enjoy people's depictions of the future. So just going by logical, you know subtraction she was in a stasis for 54 years and she was resurrected in 2068 which makes it that she was frozen in 2014 uh now i don't think we have the technology for that just yet unless people are holding off on me but (laughs) or holding out on me and and this kind of goes into the bigger arching overarching thing of kind of this retro futurism where uh you know of everything on the bebop is buttons and levers, and it's it's a neat, not quite steampunk, but kind of a mi- a mishmash of old and new, which is always neat. And honestly, they don't have a touchscreen until the movie, so uh, <laughs> I think it's probably, if I'm correct, that's about the time when touchscreens were becoming popular. You know, in the real world, in the real world, yeah, yeah. that's when they made the movie. So. And something I always wonder about is, should we as creators of a uh, tabletop RPG based on Cowboy Bebop, should we continue with this retrofuturism? Should we, if we're going to make items and boons and stuff, should we, uh, you know, make it our own in terms of, you know, sci-fi stuff, quote unquote, or some mixture of the two? And something I was just thinking about, but, you know, maybe not the most important point of this episode. I do love, I used to follow this blog which I've got to look up, uh, called Paleo Future, which was just about visions of the future from the past. So very much a Futurama, like very much that, uh, like a lot of those sleek starships from like the cover of an Asimov novel, right? Like it, it's very like, oh, in the future we'll all be, you know, flying around in our jetpacks, but also there's no cell phones or social media or internet, right? Like, like it's we're flying around in our jetpacks to go to the library to look something up in a card catalog, right? Like, like it, it's that strange mishmash of old and new. Uh, I've been of the opinion. So I think the stated goal of this game, right, is to replicate what we see on the screen of of the show, but that probably doesn't hold up too well because again. Uh, you know, TV shows from the 90s didn't have cell phones, right? And so much plot happens just because, oh, I can't call you and you can't call me. There's no way for us to communicate in real time about this thing that's happening. So problem, hilarity, Frazier gets stuck in an elevator somewhere, right? Something like that happens. That doesn't really work for us anymore, right? Like we don't feel like those kind of plots, those kind of ideas are valid anymore. Because like, no, why couldn't you just Google this, right? (laughs) Why couldn't you just... You know, call, send them a text message and say, hey, I'm 15 minutes late. 
don't sell my jewelry until I arrive, right? Like, like it, it doesn't make sense anymore. So I do think we have to update a little bit while still holding to the principles of, you know, the future via 1998. Or just come up with your own crazy technology that will be outdated in a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. And I think you can also leave, like, some of it up to the player with how they want to actually you know, kind of navigate the game. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm currently kind of uh, spiraling in an existential crisis right now, because according to Lee <laughs> Joe's math, Faye could have been one of my students. And <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and now I'm having a crisis. No, uh, for me, it, it kind of also centered around um, the technology. Like, that's not a picture, that's a face scanner or <laughs> whatever. Um in the episode and uh, just kind of those ideas of like where we thought the future was going to go and how vastly different it, it is just since like, you know, we were kids and to your point earlier. Yeah. This is one of the episodes, uh, probably the only episode that has like a large flashback that isn't focused on spike specifically Mm. because rather than rewatch the entire series, I also was just looking up, synopses of the series and all of them are just like there is some stuff with these characters but here's what happens with spike and i was Mm -hmm. like okay fine fair enough um but yeah it was it was kind of cool to see um it revolving around Faye. but like there were so many little things that i don't know if it was just me as a woman being like oh that's a red flag oh that's creepy Mm -hmm. (laughs) girl no uh, mm, uh, there it is like the whole time I felt like I should have been like she, she needed a friend to be like Mm-mm, don't do it go just come over we'll we'll have coffee we'll we'll do something right it, it's, it's got very much that uh it's like no that is a that is a creep like, like don't, don't, <laughs> don't just listen to it like no 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 you need to learn like, I know you got amnesia but these are poor decisions <laughs> right yeah I uh, want one of the things that uh uh, I think Dr. Bacchus says this when he can, when he finds them at the end. He says something like, you know, these questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? You know, what is my future? And he says something along the lines of, like, these are questions that a teenager asks. Like, these are questions that an adolescent asks, not an adult, right? And kind of what we're seeing, too, is, like, Faye in this is a teenager, right? Like, she's 20, but really... Like, she just doesn't know better. Like, she's she is entirely without a parent at this point and not prepared to deal with, well, you know, one, the cruelty of the world and the fact that not everybody that's nice to you. Uh, what, what's the Sondheim line? What's the end of the woods? Like, uh, good is different than nice. Yeah. Right? Like. You're not good. Like, you're not bad. You're just nice. Yeah. Whit- Whitney is nice, but he is not good. <laughs> Also, I really feel like Dr. Bacchus. Let me make a joke about wine. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) He's so uh, smug about that joke. (laughs) I really love his assistant. I think she's like the undervalued character of the episode where she's just like along for the ride. And she's like, doctor, at this rate, we're going to be apprehended. And she's so chill about all of the horrible things happening the entire time. Just like, I want more about her where's her Mm -hmm. backstory extended backstory episode behind every monster is a comfortable woman (laughs) true yeah uh lija are you you're watching it with the subs right i'm yeah i I, i've I've seen it a couple times with the dubs and so i'm currently watching with the subs yeah Uh, so one of my questions is because there is a moment where the two of them the dr bacchus and uh what's her name uh miss manis so there's a moment where the two of them are in that cop spaceship and they both wave in this weirdly like silly way like it sticks in my mind as an image of like them waving in a silly way that felt very incongruous with like the voicing <laughs> like it's like wait I, I feel like they're waving in a silly way while their voices are like deathly serious <laughs> you know honestly I don't recall that I do remember them waving but I don't remember what they were saying and unfortunately uh, the biggest issue with watching things uh, subtitled is that you're at the mercy of the subtitler. So mm. uh, the people who do subtitles for Netflix uh, are not bad by any means, but they sometimes lack context for what's going mm. on. And that's uh, – it's tough. So I, I probably have don't have any more 
uh, insight than you do. I watched it dubbed, but also with subtitles on, and there were there was a lot of difference in specific words used. Um, but as far as like a cheerful, happy wave with a serious tone, you know, um, they just have manners. That's all. <laughs> Everything is serious, but they still wanted to be like, "Hey, very guys, polite." Yeah, <laughs> we we may have stolen this vehicle, but please, uh, you know, just have a good day. Let us let us. We'll bring it back. It's fine. <laughs> I love that they they play the same uh, trick, right? When Whitney has to disappear, his car explodes, right? When Doctor Bacchus and it's Miss Manley. When Doctor Bacchus and Miss Manley disappear, they blow up the spaceship, right? Like, but they clearly get away. Mm-hmm. It had a weirdly like Team Rockets blasting off again kind of feel <laughs> yes. to it, and I don't think it should have. <laughs> But I'm not <laughs> mad about it. Like, there's just this continuous, like, scheme of, like, waking people up from cryo sleep and then just being like, you're in all this debt. And they've probably just been mm-hmm. siphoning people's assets the whole time. And then they fake their deaths and do it over Reset. again. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the so dream. that is something also I, I, I wanted to point out. So, like, if it's possible that Faye has been frozen for 54 years or so. It's also possible they're just lying, right? Like, all they know is that Faye was frozen so before the gate accident, right? But that, that's all they know. No, no one knows for sure. <laughs> so I love that when Whitney's confronted, uh, when Jet brings him back onto the ship, and, Jet, and Faye's like, wait, I recognize this guy, except he's, like, fat now. Uh, Whitney lies probably immediately, right? He's like, I'm not fat. I just got this fat injection, right? Like, I, I yeah, love they go in that. through your armpit. Why? What what was the purpose of this? (laughs) And we've established in this universe that plastic surgery is incredibly cheap. Or at Mm -hmm. least you can get a back alley plastic surgery uh, for a minor inconvenience. So, I mean, you can be fat. I mean, I'm a fat guy. We, we, uh, it's a thing that happens. You don't have to lie about it. Yeah, and you know, well, maybe it's a cosmetic procedure in the future. Maybe it's desirable. There have been historic periods and and places where like voluptuousness or being Rubenesque, right? That's the term uh, <laughs> for it being like a desired physique. And since you know, it's hard to come by uh, non toxic fish <laughs> meal sources. Maybe uh, being a big dude means you're doing really well. I don't know if it's just because we're noticing it more because we have to start talking about building up the game world and describing how the world works beyond just like a, a game mechanic. But we've been noticing how, yeah, terrible this world is, how, um, you know, hyper capitalist things are, how corporatist things are, how. It must be a terrible place to live in. I, I, yeah, well, I, I don't imagine. know how people survive in such a world that is. You know, no one can afford to eat. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but yeah, being fat might be cool, <laughs> right? Like at that point, it's like, oh yeah, that guy's got money. He can eat. <laughs> that guy got gout. He must be doing well for himself. You know? like... <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, line up. <laughs> but along those lines, we kind of do have to talk about the the subject of trauma and how it informs everything. In this case, Face Past, where she has been basically been wiped clean uh, with this amnesia and how immediately she's put into a life of debt and she's been gaslit and she has been conned into more debt, uh, definitely informs her character, uh, basically doesn't trust anyone and doesn't want to get close to anyone again to be to get into that situation. Uh, and, you know, we've been following her through this series uh, about basically she she mentions how trusting people isn't worth it. It doesn't get you anywhere. And again and again, she chooses to trust Spike and Jet and Ed and Ayn uh, to, to a degree that is nice, but I don't know if it's if it's safe to say she uh, she's not going to fall back on old behaviors. I mean, that's the nature of trauma, right? Like, you're, you know, you, you start to trust, but then you're always aware that it can be snatched away from you again, right? So do you trust at that point or do you do you run? Like, when we covered Jupiter Jazz, 
right? I think we came to the conclusion that, yeah, Faye ran because she was getting too close, right? The reason that she decided I'm out is because, uh, because like, oh, this is getting too uncomfortable. I trust these people too much. I have too much to lose now, so I'm going to leave before they take it from me, right? And and yeah, that ties into our our second pillar of character creation, right? Like your characters in the game are driven by trauma, at least to some degree, right? Like it has to be to some degree you're driven by this trauma. Why are you here? Why are you, I mean, what what brings you to put on the mask, right? Uh, well-adjusted people don't, don't go out and hunt bounties. I was just saying, I don't want to trivialize trauma. It's uh, just because generally most of the characters in Honestly, most shows have some sort of trauma they're dealing with. Doesn't mean I want to make it just a game mechanic. Uh, I'm sure, you know, the, the radical Edwards of the world, they, they also have their own issues as well, but they don't need deep seated trauma to, to continue adventuring. Yeah. I would say though that, so, um, having an episode not, not long before this, where she decides to leave because she's getting too attached and then seeing in this episode where she's willing to like steal the bounty, fire at Spike, they fire at each other, and she still goes back to them. I think that actually shows progress though and growth. Like at, weirdly enough, it shows healing because it shows that she's not afraid of being cast off or whatever. It shows that she's comfortable enough to kind of throw those punches at these folks, knowing that she'll be welcomed back to them. It's a weird way of uh Yeah, like I don't recommend that, that in real life. Healing, though. Right, yeah, like, no, but I mean, but that is one of the ways that like, that, that like, um, in kids, cause I work with, we, we have a trauma informed practice, you know, mm. and you do see that where when a kid feels more comfortable with you, they're going to start like trash talking you a little bit. And you can see that, that playfulness and that also hesitation when they first do it, like what's the reaction going to be. And when you respond with, um, you know, a, a lighthearted kind of, uh, like a little roast back or something they're they're like they're so happy and, and it grows that kind of silliness and you know they test their mm. boundaries so it's her being still this very young person what 23 at this point in the show mm. kind mm. of testing those boundaries for this weird little family that they have it is growth right it is it is trust being built yeah uh yeah the, the ages make no sense in this show that's something i want to note like um I think Spike is 25, F.A. is 23, and Jet is 35. And this is very upsetting to me. <laughs> I think I could get by with uh, Spike and Faye. Like, they're, yeah, they look fairly young, but Jet does not look 35. Or alternatively, oh, God, what do I look like? <laughs> <laughs> the 25-year-old is living real hard, like... He's dumb like a 25-year-old <laughs> and cocky like a 25-year-old, but I don't know. I know a lot of 25, at least I know a lot of 25-year-olds now who uh, wouldn't be as capable <laughs> as, he, <laughs> as he often is. It's one of those things that I was interested in to see when John Cho was going to do the live-action Cowboy Bebop to see kind of a more world-weary uh, spike. But, you know, I... Something about the impulsiveness of a you know a twenty something fits a little bit better than the the full world weariness, but I'm not saying it's bad. It's just different. There are definitely some decisions where you're like, "This was an incredibly poor choice," and then you go, "Oh, they're they're in their early twenties. Huh, huh. I was mm. dumb too." Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and when you're watching it when you're in your early twenties or your teens the first time like some of us you don't question it at the moment i don't remember questioning things and now i'm just sitting there going no <laughs> no what Wait, don't do it <laughs> he bought doing? you that dress on credit don't do it <laughs> <laughs> a reverse mortgage how can i lose <laughs> oh no <laughs> extended warranty yeah i did just do the math and uh compound interest over 54 years at five percent Compounded annually will get you from thirty million wulongs. Let's say will get you four hundred and almost four hundred and twenty wulongs. So, yeah, it's about right. About wasn't maybe she, like four. No, wasn't she three hundred million though? 
Yes. So it's a less than 5% compound interest rate. Yeah. That's a pretty good dick gig, yeah. Yeah. It's like how the math for Fry being a billionaire actually works out on Futurama, too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Somebody did the numbers right. Yeah. <laughs> the show is so good. Let's talk a bit about tabletop RPGs. All right. So, uh, Patty, I know you have a little bit of experience in games. I know I know you're a gamer. I, I mean, I hate the phrase gamer, but I know you're a gamer. Uh, you play games. I do. And we played games together, right? We have. Uh, but uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience with, you know, kind of the Dungeons & Dragons-y type of game, the tabletop gaming. I... I'm very bad at them. <laughs> <laughs> um, the sort of improv aspect of it is where I do better because mm-hmm. I talk a lot and like to riff off of other people. Um, but We've like noticed. Yeah. Sustained. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but in like sustained strategy, that's where I'm just like, I... No idea what's going on. I will rarely win. I will rarely survive. Um, and so I have just sort of embraced uh, being an agent of chaos um, <laughs> and support and, uh, you know, punch up <laughs> like they do on uh, really bad animated movies. I'm the character who is um, off the camera making like zingy one liners in like uh right, the ice yeah. age movies you never see whatever animal this was but it's just me <laughs> i think you're in good company here because i think the three of us are very much in that same uh, oh we love the lean in right like i think i think i guess to put it another way if the three of us were characters in futurama i think all three of us are benders and that's a it's problem a terrible <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Oh like no! We, like we lean in with the you know with the ass joke, and then we lean back out. <laughs> right? My um, my professional life, I'm a Leela, and then in everything else, yeah, just bite my shiny metal ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I think that's good. I, I'm I'm glad you're on the show because I think that is a good perspective to have. Like we generally, uh, Lee Joe and I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons for something like four years together now. Uh, we are, have been playing regularly a lot of tabletop games for the last two years, like weekly, right? And it's easy to lose perspective, right? It's easy to lose the the mentality of, oh, like I've this is uh, so I want so I, I, I've talked about this a couple of times. Like I think the target audience of this game is people that are fans of Cowboy Bebop that are interested in tabletop gaming. So interested, they've seen, like, maybe they've seen a critical role here and there, or maybe they have some friends that play Dungeons & Dragons but never really participated. Uh, but they like Cowboy Bebop a lot. Like that That's the kind of person I would like to introduce to this game. Like, I think for a lot of people, I would like this to be their first game. And one of the consequences of that is that we have to write it and present it in a way that makes it friendly to newbies, right? Like it has to be built in a way that, you know, introduces concepts that those of us that have been, you know, ankle deep, ankle deep? No, the other one, elbow deep into the tabletop space may have forgotten that like, oh, there are concepts here that we just breathe at this point that are not natural, right? They are things that you have to learn, Talking about dice, right? Like things like, I was like, oh, yeah, dice, like in Monopoly, it's got six sides. Like, no, like we have weird shapes that, and we know like the math and probability on these weird shapes in certain combinations because, because, you know, we're big nerds that hang out around a table and roll dice sometimes. <laughs> uh, so like you mentioned something like that, that you're, you're bad at tabletop games. And I, I assume that comes from some experience, right, of, of playing a game. And feeling like, like, oh, I'm, am I supposed to win? I don't think I'm winning, right? And, like, one of the things that is more natural, and I, I don't know, maybe maybe this is just because I've been lucky in the tables that I've gotten to play at, but knowing now is like, oh, I don't care about winning anymore. I'm, I'm the same as you, like, in that 
winning is not important. <laughs> like, I, I think that's the trick. Like, like learning that winning a game of uh, Dungeons and Dragons is not a thing. Like, not really. Like, winning means we all had a good time. Maybe not the dungeon master. So, Lijo, I'm sorry. You didn't have a good time. We crushed your monster. But the rest of us had a great time. And that's winning, right? How did we win? We won by playing our characters. We won by trying out cool new abilities we might have had. We won by, you know, making the table laugh, right? And, and that experience is what, you know, I'd love to see in this kind of game. I usually describe myself as uh, a golden retriever. I'm just happy to be there, but I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> I'm also going to just kind of temper what uh, Wu said. It, it when it comes down to it, it depends on who you're with and you know the in the group you are with. There are some people who just want to go and fight every monster and play it like a video game, and that's fine. If you and the game master, you know, mesh like that, go ahead and do that. There are other games where all you want to do is just goof off and role play, and that's a okay as well. I personally like a little bit of both, and that's how I generally try to run games. And as long as it seems that the people I'm playing with are having fun, I'm pretty happy. If I, it, I mean, if you murder my my big bad evil guy in uh, like two turns, it's okay. As long as it was pretty cool <laughs> and everybody is having, you know, is laughing and having fun, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. But I've I've recently paid off a handful of Lijo's creatures with money because he's also given us too much money. So now they've all gone away. <laughs> yeah, and you do break the you economy pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fight like a rich person. So so going off what Lijo said, um, you know, thinking about the way that I approach video games, which are more of my forte, I do like a game with a strong story, though, like a song, a strong central story. I've noticed that if I can't get into the story, then I just kind of get stuck on side quests. And then eventually mm. I like, and I like to, I like the exploration aspect of it, but then it kind of gets to the point of, well, I, like, what am I doing? There's, there's no sense of like accomplishment when it's just like a little NPC at the end saying like, thank you for returning my oranges. Here are four <laughs> shillings. And then you just kind of go on your way, you know, like that's not <laughs> as cool as like, um, helping to depose the shadowy cult that kidnapped your brother. Uh, the game <laughs> that like got me through the pandemic was that I played my first ever Assassin's Creed game and I played um, mm. Odyssey and it was awesome. And then when I finished it, I did every side quest I could. And then I was like, I've got a couple more left, but they're very similar to ones I've already done. So I think that like that main story is important. Mm -hmm. Um but I am also like I I'm I'm not Frodo I'm I'm Sam <laughs> I know who I am <laughs> I will be there to support you if I have my moment to shine great otherwise I will be like and when is second breakfast because <laughs> I, I think that that's I mean that's important in a tabletop game as well because I think it's hard well I, you know again I think I've been lucky in the tables that I've been sitting at where. You know, people share that spotlight, right? I, I've heard horror stories of tables where, like, no, I'm the main character. My backstory is important, and no, like, it's to no the detriment boy. of everyone else at the table, right? And because, and you know, I think a lot of that comes from the video game power fulfillment, right? Or power fantasy fulfillment, right? Whereas, like, I am the main character in this video game, so of course the good things happen to me because I'm the hero. In a game where you're now sitting around with five other people that also feel like it's like, well, I've got a story too, <laughs> right? Like, and with a dungeon master or a game master that is also like, well, I'm trying to tell a story as well, right? Like, it, it's more collaborative. It's more like we all have to play together. I think one of the goals for this game is to make. Yeah, I do wonder, like, like for this game, I, again, I'm mostly designing a game that I want to play and make. <laughs> so uh, it's good to have different perspectives on how people would like to see it, right? Like, I, I like to improvise. I like to riff, right? I think that, like, that kind of 
that improvisational character needs to live though in the game because it very much is true to the characters themselves it seems like the crew of cowboy bebop is just constantly winging everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i don't know maybe there's a algorithm you could write for luckiness or second chances too because they should there's no way that they should have all been okay for as long as they were no Um, they should have died many times (laughs) many times in just this episode (laughs) Faye Faye and Spike have a dog fight in this episode over like a minor thing and it's just like well you know I'll try not to shoot you, I guess. <laughs> right? like, it's like, no, that's not how this should work. <laughs> the only characters who should have survived the episode are Jet and <laughs> the dog. Like, yeah. Everyone else was just kind of like, like, Ed is just kind of like, like, hey, everybody, welcome. Thanks for coming. The other two are trying to murder each other, but only like a little bit of murder. Like like how we, everyone yeah. say, like how we do, everyone yeah. say, just a little, little pinch, a little... Well, taste of murder. Wait, yeah. a way to tie that all back together. Yeah, see? <laughs> Power of the callback. But yeah, maybe there's something. <laughs> because I, I, like I said, I think that that sort of um, fluidity or that that um, predilection for fluidity, there we go, SAT words, uh, kind of needs to live <laughs> in the game. In, in, a, in a game perspective, I have been considering some sort of failure mechanic or like failing forward. In Powered by the Apocalypse, you take experience every time you fail a roll. In Kids on Brooms, you get adversity tokens. And with those tokens, you either uh, are able to uh, either spend four experience to get a boon, or you can use adversity tokens to bump up your rolls. Uh, and both are interesting concepts. The, what I worry is that sometimes people may try to farm them. In terms of like a metagame of, well, I'm going to do something crazy so that I can get this token or experience and then I can get I can level up and now I, I'll be even stronger than everyone, mm-hmm. uh, which is not necessarily uh, the greatest idea. But I mean, I wouldn't punish them if they tried. Yeah, I, I think like so bringing it back to Assassin's Creed, that has the same problem, right, where. Uh, at some, you know, I I know in Odyssey there is a like a level up mechanic, right? You're a certain level, and you take on quests or beat certain bad guys, and they your level goes up, and you feel like this sense of like, oh, good, I'm more I'm more powerful, way awesome, but the reality is like it's empty, right? It's an extrinsic value that you're getting, right? You're you're no longer you're no longer happy to be playing the game. You're happy to be playing the meta, right? And that is a, you need a little bit of that, but like when it's too strong that way, and you know, certain people are more wired than others to play for those things. And it's, uh, to me, yeah, that like, that's, that's less fun. It's a job. You're just playing this game. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, it's like a job. Um, they do, try to sort of match you know the the characters you're fighting to whatever your level is um but at a certain point you get like godlike abilities and magic (laughs) armor and stuff and it's just killing everybody every which way um i do think that no matter what your game mechanic is going to be there are always going to be people who try to hack it (laughs) for whatever their play style is going to be so i wouldn't you know uh obsess over the idea of Farming yeah, I, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've told Wu that when I, cause when I, when we're designing this game, I think about the worst person I would possibly know and how they would play this game, and as long as it's still within an it's acceptable me. range, yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> sure, uh, <laughs> and see how they, and think about how they would play this game, and if it's still pretty acceptable, I'm okay with it. If it, if it approaches something real problematic, then I, then I, I voice my concerns with it. Yeah. I'm just imagining Wu playing and just making pun after pun. <laughs> okay, you have to roll a whatever, you have to roll a five to make, uh, you know, to, to like cause damage. And instead, like, actually, I'm going for any other number because it's going to be another joke. <laughs> it's going to just be another, <laughs> another pun. I'm going to try and kill him with the uh, irony goose puns. <laughs> I think it, it it is so the the irony here is that I think I've only ever played one bard in Dungeons and Dragons, and that is the entirety of that class. <laughs> like that is the entire purpose of that class. I play a bard in real life, so 
it's not a it's not a play it's a it's a lifestyle choice actually <laughs> I, I ask you to respect it thank you so while we're still considering different perspectives about things and we talk, we just talked about the rpg mechanic um so patty i guess what makes Cowboy Bebop Cowboy Bebop? It's a show that, you know, we all love and we, we're we trying our, our darndest to make a game faithful to the show and to that IP. What is something, if not just the general gist of how you feel about it, is there anything that really sticks out that if you were playing a game about Cowboy Bebop, you, it absolutely would need to be in there? That's a great question. So I think when I first saw Firefly, I remember thinking that it reminded me really strongly of Cowboy Bebop. So stylistically, just felt really similar. Like compositionally, it felt really similar. But I think where Cowboy Bebop is sort of different is that it has this like cheerful nihilism almost. Uh, (laughs) You know, not to be spoilery, but it doesn't end in a great place. (laughs) And there's never an attempt to shy away from that. There's never a fear of acknowledging that possibility. And you always kind of feel like it's coming. So Mm. even though the goal is to like have fun and ideally win whatever the situation is, the, the ultimate story is not, is not, it's just not, (laughs) not super fun, happy times. So I think what sets it apart is that there's still the ability and like the, of purposefully finding like those victories on the way and that joy on the way. Uh, or in some cases, some characters who just, uh, you know, like Ed just kind of shine in the, in spite of it, uh, mm-hmm. whether they're acknowledging it or not, you're never really a hundred percent sure, but you think that there's some semblance of like recognition of the situation, just choosing to sort of find that the fun and the chaos, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what sets, I think that's what sets the show apart from a lot of other stuff. Yeah, that, that cheerful nihilism is an excellent way to describe it. Like it is, that is exactly what this is. That's how I've been navigating the pandemic with cheerful nihilism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it all ends eventually, but sushi was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to think about Firefly right now, just because, because yeah, it's true. It's the same skin. Right, it's space plus western, right? Plus creepy showrunner. And uh, weren't they bounty hunters ish? Kind of. They took jobs, whatever jobs they could get. There you right? go. So Odd jobs, yeah, yeah. Similar. The idea there, though, is like, so you know, I think about our game in terms of heroics, right? Like how uh, Dungeons and Dragons is built as a zero to hero, right? It is the hero's journey. It is we start at level one and are nobodies. And by level 20, we're gods, right? Through struggle and fighting, mostly, we are gods, right? Uh, I don't want that game, right? And I don't think Cowboy Bebop is that type of show, right? Because, again, it it ends not good. Firefly, I feel like, for whatever reason, I feel like is more of a hero's journey, right? And I, I can't think of concrete evidence of that, but in just in my head... Something about it still feels like it's more Dungeons and Dragons than what we're trying to build. I think for Firefly, if you read any of the um, dialogue on where the show is headed, had there been a second season, I think that that depends on which characters. I think that Mal is like the central character for Firefly. And we we know that from some of the interviews that people have had with um, the creatives behind Firefly... I forget her name, but the character who was the, like, consort person. Uh, Inara. It's Inara, yeah. She was going to catch and possibly die of, like, a space, like, a really horrible, like, degenerative space STD. Mm. If I recall reading that interview correctly. Like, it wasn't going to end well for everybody. And... I think that's just like a Joss Whedon thing. It does feel like tends a Joss to Whedon put, thing. <laughs> put like the ladies through the ringer through just like horrible events. Like I write strong characters. You write 
them going through bad shit is what you write. <laughs> you write torture my porn language. for strong characters. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think that, like, you know, Mal, we're big damn heroes. I think it depends on mm. who all you're talking about. Because in the movie, in Serenity, you know, not everybody makes it either, right? Mm. I'm a leaf on the I guess I guess it's the flip because Mal is so central in the Firefly universe that he's not going anywhere and he's the one who's going to make it. He's the hero. Whereas for Cowboy Bebop, the person with like the the biggest sort of sense of who buddy you're not going to make it is Spike who's the central mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Like like uh Cowboy Bebop is a show about looking back. Where Firefly is a show about looking forward. Yeah, I mean, the the whole concept is how the past affects you, right? And that one of the lines Spike says is literally, this eye only sees the past, or mm-hmm. something along those lines. So, hmm. uh, these are all deep-rooted traumas, and they, uh, they don't make things good for these, or they don't make it easy for these people. Can you all think of a game, tabletop video game app whatever that has had a playable flashback mechanic that isn't linear like where you're actually able to affect change in the flashback or you're able to build something that then affects future gameplay in the flashback so i've never played it but i think is it powered by the apocalypse lee joe is that the one with the flashback mechanic or blades in the dark that's blades of the dark yeah so so there's a game called i haven't played it uh but it's called blades in the dark and in that game, the idea – so a lot of times in these games what happens is the players get together and they have, like, their inventory set up and they plan out, like, well, I've got this and this in my inventory. Let's go do these things, right? And uh, realistically in gameplay, it kind of takes forever, <laughs> right, because it's people sitting uh, – basically, I think if as an outsider looking at a table of people playing Dungeons & Dragons, it just looks like – you're you're having a meeting at work, <laughs> right? It's, yeah, the, the things you're concerned about are not KPIs and shipping. It's about, you know, fighting this dragon and stealing its gold. But it's still just like, oh, yeah, let's plan. <laughs> let's have a meeting. Uh, Blades in the Dark kind of counters that by saying, hey, whatever stuff you've prepared, if you don't have anything, what will happen is you can, like, insert a flashback at this very moment and say how you got the thing that you want to use now, right? So it's like, we're about to... I think it's more like a heist game. So we're about to break into the bank and you need, you know, like uh, a thing that can let you pick the lock, right? So then we can have a flashback right now and say, how did you get the thing that lets you pick the lock, right? And depending how that flashback plays, it can be that like, oh, you've got really high quality lock picks. So it makes it really easy to open the door or you got really shit things. <laughs> you got two pieces of sticks that you just found on the ground. So it's going to be really hard for you to lock, unlock that door now, right? So that flashback in the middle of the narrative, right, helps you push the story forward. Uh, I'm fascinated by this concept. Uh, Lee Joe, when are you going to run a, run, a, run a game for this for us? <laughs> when we finish any of the campaigns I've started, <laughs> you know, <laughs> finish one of them, and I swear we can do a Blades in the Dark campaign. Just, <laughs> I'm holding you to it. Yeah. Uh, but on the, along those lines, uh, most our tabletop RPGs aren't quite time centric. Although I suppose you could do that. The uh, the beauty of most tabletop games is that there is the freedom to do so. Often, like if we're gonna do a flashback, what I would rec- what I usually would recommend is uh, you kind of give a framework for a flashback. Like one of the the player's backstory is that his dad was mean to him. So you you set up a situation where the dad is mean to him, and then the player can decide how that scene works out. And that may have far-reaching uh, consequences, and mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a, hey, remember that time my dad was mean to me? Yeah. So it's... You... It's a really weird Cub Scout meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't get that badge. I'm sorry. The yeah. best son badge. Never going to get that one. Oh, no. The, he gave me a hug badge. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to plug uh, real quick. Dungeons and Daddies is a RPG actual play that I, I just caught up to recently. And it is, uh, it is not a BDSM podcast. I see your face, Patty. Uh, it is not a BDSM podcast. Usually not a BDSM podcast. 
Pinky usually, for the yeah. usually. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, a Dungeons and Dragons show all about trauma with your dad, and that's what it reminded me of just now. <laughs> oh boy, what a fun way for people to experience catharsis and healing. What an age we live in. What an age. Cowboy uh, Bebop didn't call this, did they? <laughs> I will say that there are there are several articles out there if you want to read about how D and D and tabletop gaming can be therapeutic, and it does help the you know members of the LGBT plus community explore their you know sexuality in a safer environment, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know what beats uh, gaming with your friends therapy. But that is yeah. that is not so. Uh, it should easy not to be used by. as a substitute for therapy, but no. it can supplement therapy. Yes, and it's <laughs> it probably is, more accessible for a lot of people. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Insurance does not cover Dungeons and Dragons. Too many wounds. We circled back to the idea of just capitalism strangling out all the good things of life. <laughs> Are there any last bits about this episode that we haven't talked about that you want to cover? I didn't realize that My Funny Valentine was not a Frank Sinatra song. It's actually a song from Babes in Arms, which is a Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland uh, movie. Oh, boy. Uh, For me, I knew the episode was going to take a weird turn when Faye wakes up and we see her point of view. And it's just like her boobs Mm -hmm. and on down. Um, that was, that was a little, that was the first of the red flags. I went, oh boy, this is a specific (laughs) choice by the art director. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the, one of the lines that stood out to me related to that too was, um, I think it's a jet quote. Women are hopeless. They don't work on reason. It's like, wow, this is a, this is a Tim Allen 90s sitcom right here, right? It's like, oh boy. (laughs) 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 (la
Patty, thank you for being here. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. Oh, I tried my hardest for the other direction, but you're welcome. You failed. You failed miserably. I failed forward. You were delightful. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Stay tuned next week. We're going to be talking about Black Dog Serenade, a jet-focused... Uh, we were talking about that hard-boiled detective. Well, it's coming next week, so have we're, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> Goodbye, sleeping beasts. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs>